Welcome to Constitutional Futures, a podcast series from the Arts, Humanities and Social Sciences Faculty at Queen's University Belfast, examining debates around constitutional futures on this island and these islands. I'm Professor Colin Harvey from the School of Law at Queen's. I'm very pleased to be joined today by someone who will be very well known to this audience. Niall Murphy is a partner and solicitor at KRW Law, where he has a long and distinguished record, including in high-profile legacy litigation and criminal defence. Niall is also the Secretary of Ireland's Future and one of the founders of the organisation, playing a leading role in its formation and ongoing work. You're very welcome to the podcast. Delighted to be invited, Colin. It's a fantastic series that you've you've developed and honoured to be a part of it. Thank you very much, Niall. It's been a pleasure to work with you in Ireland's future as well. I'm going to start really by thinking about uh, that civil society organisation. You're the secretary and a founder of Ireland's Future. I wonder, could you let our listeners know the origins of Ireland's Future and what its main objectives are? Well, really, <coughs> it started out, we, we, we relatively recently um, formalised ourselves as, as an organisation called Ireland's Future, but there had been uh, affiliations socially as much as uh, organisationally um, for some years in advance and really it was people that were drawn together uh, who were agitated and aggravated by the rights vacuum which had been emerging and really deepening into a rights chasm uh, here um, and that was coalescing around different issues um, such as marriage equality, um, such as the rights of uh, people in receipt of um, welfare to live an honourable uh, and sustainable life. Um, Irish language activists who were uh, repeatedly denied and are still to this day denied uh, constitutional recognition of the right to live their life um, through the medium of Irish. Uh, women's reproductive rights uh, was also an issue, and we had seen constitutional change uh, in in the South through the repeal of the Eighth Amendment, through the enactment by law for marriage equality, um, and really the circumstances were beginning to emerge whereby this jurisdiction was the only part of these islands whereby these rights were denied in law. Um, there was statutory recognition for uh, Scots Gaelic in Scotland through um, Act the Gaelic. Uh, there was uh, statutory recognition for the Welsh language and the Welsh Language Act 1985. The Irish language is protected by the Bunrock Naher in 1937. Uh, this was the only uh, jurisdiction in these islands whereby marriage equality was not recognised. And this was the only jurisdiction in these islands uh, whereby women's reproductive rights were um, not enshrined in law. So for many different reasons, um, people were agitated, uh, were speaking to each other and reflecting on what, what can be done in terms of, of activism. And then in the middle of it all, we had the biggest constitutional event in our lifetimes perhaps, certainly of this century, uh, with Brexit. 
um, and how that was going to unfold and the economic uh, wreckage that that threatened uh, not only to this jurisdiction but uh, all citizens of these islands. And it was through um, all of those issues um, that 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 we we began to organise. Uh, we we began to 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 engage in activism to highlight these issues. Uh, and as that began to develop, uh, we we realised that there was a very wide reservoir of support. In the community uh, for the concerns that we we were expressing, and for example, one of our first mechanisms of activism was that we sent a letter uh, to the Taoiseach in Dublin, Leo Varadkar at the time. I think it was in November two thousand and seventeen, and that was signed by two hundred signatories, um, all prominent people in their own lives, be that uh, in sport. In the community sector, um, different people in different professions in academia and business. And when we when we we published that letter in the Irish News, and the response to that letter as a as an event um, was remarkable, and it informed us. Indeed, the only criticism we we received from the letter was uh, people contacting us to say, "Why didn't you ask me to sign it?" And we 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 immediately appreciated that. Um, th- there were thousands of people that shared our concerns and our analysis, and there was a comfort in that as well, uh, and that inspired us to keep going. And as as that chronologically, as as that was unfolding, the Brexit debate was becoming increasingly erratic, out of control, and that really did sharpen into focus uh, concerns in respect of the constitutional uh, position that, that we found ourselves in. Brexit did change everything. It wasn't an initiative born of this island. It was an external event that uh, crashed into our settled constitutional uh, happiness. Um, it was not of our creation. Uh, nobody of any political persuasion uh, inspired uh, Brexit as a debate. Um, certainly some individuals got behind it um, but it's not an issue uh, of this island indeed we all know that the referendum was quite overwhelmingly clear uh, in terms of our jurisdiction's democratic expression uh, that we want to remain in the EU we want to be EU citizens um, and that that expressed democratic mandate was uh, ignored brought with it some fraught and immediate considerations that, that we all had to get to grips with. Thank you very much, Niall. You've outlined some of what Ireland's Future has done to date, but I wonder if you could say a bit more about the focus of Ireland's Future's work and particularly what are the plans for the future, including in the year ahead? Well, we had, um, prior to the pandemic, we had been organising public events, town hall meetings, which were exceptionally well attended. Uh, and each each event brought with it further inspiration and further issues and um, uh, an appreciation that there was a groundswell of civic opinion uh, that was concerned about the issues we were discussing. Uh, we filled the Waterfront Convention Centre, the largest civic space in the north 
uh, with over 2,000 people. Um, replicated that with uh, meetings in Newry uh, and also in Croke Park in Dublin. Um, and then the pandemic happened. Uh, and we, we really had to realign our activism uh, online through webcasts. And we we began to organize and host webcasts. What does um, a new health system in, in a new constitutional future look like? How does the economy um, look emerging from uh, a pandemic and, a, and, and in a post-Brexit scenario? Um, how do young people envisage their place in, in a new Ireland? Um, we, we, we held one webcast of people from uh, culturally a unionist background, uh, just allowing them space to discuss uh, how they viewed uh, their constitutional future. And these webcasts were attracting tens of thousands of, of viewers. We, we host them all online on our website, irelandsfuture.com. Um, but since then we have, uh, with, with the easing of restrictions, we have embarked on a series of all island Meetings, uh, we have held successful meetings in Cork, at the Manson House in Dublin, um, in in Limerick, uh, and we have one upcoming in Waterford. We've also held meetings in Armagh and Dundalk, all of which have been addressed by senior figures from all of the political parties. We have had TDs and senators from Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, uh, Labour. Um, as well as in the North, MPs and MLAs from Alliance, Sinn Féin and the SDLP. So we have a broad uh, panoply of uh, political opinion, all contributing to um, the conversation, which, which is the conversation of the day, as to what is the best constitutional arrangement for our island. And you ask, what, what are our plans in the immediate future? Uh, we, we will complete the series of, of all island meetings. We actually held meetings in America, in Philadelphia and uh, New York, which were overwhelming in terms of the response. We have uh, meetings planned in London, but we will conclude our island-based series of meetings um, with uh, public meetings in Kilkenny, Letterkenny and Sligo. So we should also say, especially speaking to you, we were in Derry. Uh, and, and, and we're very well received in Derry. Um, so th those meetings are the barometer by which we understand what the mood of society is. Uh, they are very often interactive. Um, we, we welcome contributions from the floor. And it allows us to inform ourselves as to the, you know, the view of 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 the of civic society, uh, but we are building towards uh, our main event of the year at the SSE Arena in Dublin uh, on the first of October. Uh, we haven't released details of of our speakers, but I have seen a preview of um, the 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 those who have committed, and it will be exceptional. It will be the uh, constitutional political. Uh, event of the century uh, to date. Um, 10,000 people uh, all gathered to understand, reflect and uh, contribute to 
the debate uh, for uh, a constitutional arrangement uh, on the island, a single island uh, entity. And how does that look? It's a very exciting uh, conversation to be involved in. And what we in Ireland's future try to do is to provoke debate, uh, to stimulate issues um, which require deeper analysis. Uh, we conduct research, we engage with experts, um, we, we have published position papers uh, on the constitutional legal position, on economic scenarios, uh, on issues, very important issues such as rights, identity. We have a, a document in planning at the minute, which might be our most important document to date, as to what a new health system might look like in an all-island based scenario. And we, we, we understand that the health system at the minute is not working. Uh, our, our heroes in the NHS are overworked, underpaid, um, and we need to ensure that a system is in place that uh, affords the best outcomes for every citizen on the island. Um, so that's our next piece of work. And we want to present those uh, items of research by way of publication at the SSE arena as well, because it's important when you do take a public position that the public have the ability to uh, understand your position uh, by reading your publications and to interrogate it thereafter. Um, so that's it's it's an exceptionally busy uh, menu of work that we have uh, arranged for ourselves, but it's one that uh, excites us uh, and inspires us towards keeping keeping uh keep them going <laughs> that's great now it's really really helpful as well to to hear that in context and where things are going next and i suppose it highlights really the next question around rarely a week goes by at the moment without some new initiative or comment piece or something being written or said about this i just wonder you mentioned brexit but what's your own view as to why this is happening why has this conversation gained such momentum well, I think most fundamentally it is Brexit and Brexit has transformed our understanding of our our constitutional place and had there been no uh, fundamental amendment to the settled constitutional position, um, that debate on a new constitutional future might not be as advanced as it now is, but uh, Brexit happened. And I think a lot of this is motivated by the abuse of democracy that Brexit represents. Uh, as I stated earlier, and it's a common held fact, um, the electorate in this jurisdiction overwhelmingly rejected the concept of Brexit uh, and in doing so uh, numerically must have included um, people from a unionist background uh, to reject the overtures of Brexit and to embrace uh, their EU citizenship. So that has changed everything and has caused those in society who, who have had their democratic mandate uh, ignored and abused to reflect upon what what else is is out there in terms of constitutional future. And it is inherent in um, the Good Friday Agreement, which uh, celebrates its 24th anniversary this week, um, that 
the legislative expression of the Good Friday Agreement is the Northern Ireland Act 1998. And Schedule 1 of the Northern Ireland Act 1998 includes the provision by which a border poll uh, would be called. Um, so it's the logistic constitutional outworking of the full outworking of the Good Friday Agreement by which uh, the principle of consent would be tested. Um, I have resided my whole life under protest um, in a jurisdiction to which I have no uh, allegiance uh, but respectful of the principle of consent, uh, understanding that um, my constitutional preference uh, is, is in a minority. So really, those of us who are uh, seeking to stimulate interest, research uh, and answers in what a new constitutional outlook would look for us all, uh, really it's respectfully uh, seeking the opportunity to test the principle of consent. And that in and of itself is the purest form of democracy. And those of us who have had our, as I say, democratic expression abused in the recent um, Brexit farce uh, feel that it is now time. Uh, it's a generation since the Good Friday Agreement that now is the time to uh, test that principle of consent. Um, but let's not replicate the madness of Brexit. Uh, let's do it from an informed, reasoned, evidence-based position. Um, let's not tell lies on the side of buses. Uh, rather, let's inform our decision-making with, uh, with facts, and that's what Ireland's Future exists to do, uh, to publish uh, as many facts as possible. The Scottish referendum on in the Scottish independence, uh, each household received a 600 and I think it was 30 page document um, informing them exactly the position in terms of the scenario that would uh, pertain ex post independence and we consider that that was a responsible mature reflective thing to do and of course uh, the Scottish independence uh, referendum went as it did so it's not um, it's not a precondition that by calling a referendum uh, that the outcome is preordained far from it but let's test the principle of consent and now a full generation on from the signing of the Good Friday Agreement with the constitutional big bang that Brexit represents. Uh, we feel that now is the appropriate time to do that. Thanks, Niall. That links in quite nicely to the next theme, which is around planning and preparing. Everything you've said really is focused on planning to, to test that consent, but I suppose that raises the question, Although there's a lot of talk about that, is there enough being done now? You know, who should be leading that planning and preparation? What role should civil society play? And although Ireland's future has been at the centre of this discussion, do you sense any nervousness from others about entering this, what can at times be contested space? Yeah, well, as, as much as we in Ireland's future and other uh, organisations can do, and in as responsible a fashion as we try to do it, um, this does require the imprimatur of government, um, most uh, explicitly the, the, the Irish government, um, the levers of power and the access to source information on uh, tax yields, on population movement, uh, all of that core 
governmental data will be required to be sifted and assessed and reviewed to ensure that there is an accurate projection um, anchored in evidence as to what uh, economic, for example, scenarios might, uh, might play out. We have seen the best intended uh, projections on scenario planning uh, conducted by uh, Professor Hubner of, um, I think it was Vancouver University, and he, he, he was able to map different projections which in different scenarios resulted in an enormous economic boon uh, to the island in general, but to the north specifically. Uh, we, we know that um, the peace process dividend uh, didn't really occur um, in the north, um, but in one of the scenarios that, that he has considered, uh, that, that would very much uh, occur. But this will require uh, the calm, contemplative, measured uh, attention of uh, departments of government. Um, we would respectfully suggest that there now should be incepted within the Irish government a government ministry uh, on reunification with a minister responsible to a portfolio uh, to progress that. The Shared Island Unit was recently incepted and important as that is, uh, and it is doing good work and has a significant budget. Um, what we consider is required and goes much further than that. So the, the Shared Island Unit might be submerged into um, a department for reunification. South Korea has a, such a standing um, department and, and, and we consider that that should uh, be a feature of Irish, Irish governments in the future. Uh, this will also require investment uh, politically, emotionally and economically from international stakeholders such as the European Union uh, and the enormous diaspora um, in North America, uh, which is very, very attuned uh, to the political sensitivities that, that pertain here. Um, and we, we are perhaps living through the most Irish-American administration uh, in American political history. Uh, the Secretary of State for Labour, Marty Walsh, is a former Boston mayor um, who set up the Twin Cities between Belfast and, and Boston. Uh, and he has a significant role in the Cabinet. Um, Richie Neal, Congressman, is the chair of the Influential Ways and Means Committee, which decides whether or not there is a trade deal with uh with 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 britain and he has been very explicit as has the speaker of the house nancy pelosi that if uh, to paraphrase one hair on the head of the good friday agreement is ruffled um that there will be no trade deal um so that that's an influential political ally uh, brendan boyle from philadelphia also serves in that committee and is very attuned to the facts indeed he spoke at our event in Philadelphia in March, and of course, uh, the president himself um, has a lifelong um, investment in 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 our peace. Um, so, w with with the guarantor already in place from the European Union, uh, that a united single island entity would be automatically readmitted uh, to the EU, 
that's a, a significant head start. But all of these stakeholders, uh, in our view, must now uh, collaborate and synchronise uh, their work uh, to ensure that um, the electorate has the best opportunity to consider uh, the facts for all of our families' futures. Thank you. Now, why do you think the Irish government hasn't set up a citizens' assembly, for example? Well, the, the citizens' assembly is one of our core uh, objectives, our core um, calls to the, to the Irish government, uh, the constitutional mechanism by which constitutional change happens in the South is initially through the Convention of a Citizens' Assembly. Um, that's where marriage equality came from. It's where the repeal of the Eighth Amendment came from. It's also, and there's, there's to be another referendum in 2024, I noticed last week, um, and it's long overdue as to presidential voting rights for uh, Irish citizens living outside uh, the jurisdiction of the 26 counties, so that would include uh, Irish passport holders in the north and internationally. Uh, and again, that was born from uh, a citizens' assembly which reported overwhelmingly um, that um, such citizens should be allowed to vote in presidential elections. I, th I think I've seen something today, it was 75 20 with five undecided. undecided. Um, so that's, that's the initial first step in our view. Um, and we are disappointed that that has not occurred yet. Um, we are cognizant of the fact that there will be a change in uh, personnel in the Department of Taoiseach in December. Um, Micheál Martin was very candid, to be fair to him, uh, very clear from the immediate outset that he would not uh, entertain such a citizens' assembly uh, during his tenure as Taoiseach. Uh, that comes to an end this year and we start not afresh. Uh, Virad, Leo Varadkar has been in post previously, recently understands the issues, is well informed, uh, has made public pronouncements uh, that have been welcome on, on the issue. Um, but it would really be within his gift uh, to progress this issue in the uh, term of this uh, parliament. Um, but going forward, we're always mindful of the fact that uh, politics is a, an evolutionary uh, moving feast and the opportunity for a new government in Dublin uh, in a relatively short time is more than feasible, if not probable. Um, so the prospects of uh, a citizens' assembly, certainly, um, within the next five years, which isn't very long in terms of a constitutional um, change, uh, is, is highly likely. So this is a debate that is happening, uh, will develop, and it's crucial that all of us who have an interest um, or have any anything to offer, engage enthusiastically in that. Thank you, Now, the, the Irish government's using this framing and language around this of, of a shared island. And just wonder what your view of the various shared island initiatives launched by the Irish government is. Is it a useful framework for considering relationships on the island now and in the future? Well, you know, they, they are all 
worthwhile projects. Um, it has to be said that many of them had been previously conceived and have and were left undeveloped, uh, as it were. So that had been previously committed money um, that had not been expended. Uh, so in so far as when it was brought together as a shiny new unit um, with a budget of 500 million euro, it did project an impressive uh, shadow as to the work that would be undertaken. But when one looked at it with a bit more critical analysis, it, it wasn't as new as it might have looked. Um, certainly the money was not uh, brand new pledged money, albeit there is an injection to that. And yes, the commitment to, to progress uh, the projects um, such as you know cross-border canals um, that 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 is a cross-border road networks as well those are things that uh, should have happened years ago and that they didn't is a disappointment but that they are now is to be welcomed um, but respectfully we in our analysis consider that the the, the unit does not go far enough uh, as welcome as all the work is uh, there does require to be uh, a more engaged um, development of the issues and that also in, it means politically and the institutions of the Good Friday Agreement that, that do have cross-border um, synapses have been allowed to wither uh, through successive various governments and we, we are now left in a, in a position where the full architecture of the Good Friday Agreement uh, is not living and breathing and all of those synapses and relationships uh, must be re-engaged to realise and embody the full potential of, of the Good Friday Agreement. Thank you, Niall. You're a leading human rights lawyer and human rights defender in this jurisdiction and you've been centrally involved for a long time in legacy litigation work exposing collusion. Just wondering, just trying to connect Ireland's past with, with Ireland's future, and what role does the debate around legacy play in these conversations about the constitutional future? You know, are there lessons to be learned from Ireland's past in relation to Ireland's future? Absolutely. Um, the, the work that I have the privilege to do on a daily basis as my nine-to-five job is is really the privilege of my life, you know, to be invested with um, instructions from those people who have been most severely abused by the failings of our societal architecture over the decades uh, has, has really been uh, a humbling and continually inspiring phenomenon, you know, to have a widow or a son or daughter, a child who never knew their parent, who who was lost, invest in in you, um, the most sensitive moment of of their life, uh, really does bring with it a sense of austere responsibility, and that really has driven the strategic overview that that we have adopted uh, in relation to legacy litigation, and I'm blessed to be part of a a wider team 
in our office and, and in several other uh, law firms. Um, the bar, there, there are some very committed barristers, both senior and junior counsel, engaged in this work. And um, one has to commend um, the judiciary um, for, you know, having a, an open ear um, to um, some mechanisms of, of litigation that might, might otherwise not have uh, benefited from the progression that, that we have seen. But all of it does relate back to the state's obligations under Article 2 of the European Convention of, of Human Rights. And whereas some people will ask, you know, what does Brexit mean for Article 2? Of course, we know it means nothing because they're two completely different um, arrangements, um, the EU and the ECHR. But my fear always was that once Brexit was achieved, that the real target for that right wing of the British Conservative Party would be um, the European Convention on, on Human Rights. And so it, it, it has come into pass. Dominic Raab um, has been very explicit that um, he wants to repeal the Human Rights Act and wants to uh, substitute it instead with a British Bill of Rights, which is somewhat uh, offensive, certainly in our uh, experience, given their approach to a Bill of Rights here. Um, however, uh, the the authority um, that Strasbourg has been able to impose on um, British law domestically has created opportunities for families to seek access uh, to justice. We we have a legacy inquest system, um, which was under-resourced, was, was starved, in fact. The last Lord Chief Justice, Sir Declan Morgan, um, had a, a, a very uh, ambitious, creative plan uh, to get through all of the inquests, but again, was starved of resource through an illegal decision, as the courts would later find by um, the then First Minister, Arlene Foster, um, the Police Ombudsman's Office. And one of the things that I always like to remind people of in terms of the Police Ombudsman is that in its original envisage, uh, it did not have a historic uh, remit. And indeed, its powers were only originally conceived to be 12 months retrospective. Um, but it was after a series of Strasbourg judgments um, from 2000 to 2004, uh, McCurr and others, um, that the British government, in discharge of the found failing of Article 2, uh, proposed uh, to the uh, Committee of Ministers that the Ombudsman be given a historic directorate. Um, so it's not the police Ombudsman's fault uh, that's that's certainly the wrong word. Um, no police ombudsman ever sought uh, retrospective powers. They were imposed on it by the British government in discharge of found feelings from Strasbourg in terms of its approach to Article 2. Uh, and similarly, the HET was conceived in that fashion, which has now evolved to the legacy investigation branch of, of the PSNI. Um, but all of these mechanisms aren't enough and there does require to be a fresh approach. And it was politically agreed by the DUP as well. Um, 
at the Stormont House Agreement that the mechanism agreed uh, of, of the HIU and other initiatives uh, would, would suffice and that that has lain on the legislative shelf since 2014 is, is a further disgrace. Um, but when one considers the British government's proposal as announced on the 10th of July last year um, and its command paper that would have seen uh, or would have legislated for the most egregious uh, amnesty in world history. I think some of your academic colleagues here uh, have mapped and uh, considered the different provisions of different amnesties. The British government amnesty proposal of July 2021 uh, went further than Pinochet even attempted for himself in Chile. Uh, and again, I think it has been the robust response from international partners uh, in Europe and in America that that abuse, because it would constitute uh, a human rights abuse, um, that that international opprobrium uh, is the reason that uh, that command paper hasn't uh, got out of the legislative blocks. But what does that mean for our future? If, if citizens now, in their defined right to seek access to justice would be uh, disallowed you know, to seek the jurisdiction of the court. You know, that's as fundamental as it gets in terms of the rights of the citizen. Um, that that would be legislated for further creates the disconnect between uh, the citizen on the social contract with the state uh, if you are being denied the opportunity to seek access to justice in court uh, and you're being denied access to welfare uh, when you're at your lowest ebb, if you're being denied access to health through an ineffectual under-resourced NHS, well then the um, institutions of the state are no longer working for the citizen and that's about as fundamental as it gets and all of that uh, contributes to uh, the constitutional conversation which is ongoing. Um, so it is uh, a melting pot of ideas and feelings at the minute. Uh, the worst vestiges of Brexit have been mitigated to this jurisdiction through the operation of the protocol. Um, jurisdictionally, uh, we sit second to the City of London in all of the different jurisdictions uh, which make up the United Kingdom. Um, and the horror stories which have been wreaked upon uh, industrial towns such as Hull, Sunderland, Grimsby, Scotland uh, haven't happened here. And that is only through the good fortune that we have, uh, that the protocol has acted to mitigate um, the, the worst excesses of Brexit. So when one looks at everything in the round, uh, we are in a position whereby everything is up for grabs, uh, whereby the constitutional conversation is one that will only but uh, gain momentum uh, and it's one that needs to be managed respectfully, uh, sensitively, 
uh, and informed by evidence. Thank you, Nell. You'll be glad to hear we're, we're, we're getting towards the final question now. And really, we've spent a lot of time thinking about the future and where things go next. So this is an entirely unfair exercise and prediction, but, but why not have a go? Uh, if we were sitting here in 2030, having this conversation then, given what we know now, what do you believe will have changed? I don't think it's beyond the realms of um, expectation that by 2030 we might be two or three years into the new constitutional arrangement. Um, who knows? Timelines are difficult and somewhat restrictive. Um, it will happen when the moment is right. Uh, I was struck by um, papers that were revealed in the 30-year rule release recently, uh, perhaps actually last year, were by Charles Hawley, who was then president of, uh, or Ireland was the president of the European Commission at the time, was in the uh, office of Helmut Kohl at the time of German reunification. And that debate was in its melting pot. And Helmut Kohl said to Hawley, um, they were looking out the window, and Helmut Kohl said to Hawley, Look at that, when we're looking at the rain. The rain flow buys there. That's the flow towards unity. You can't stop it. I can't stop it. There's an inevitability to it. And it's similar with uh, the reunification of Ireland. It's constitutionally inevitable. Uh, We're living through periods of electoral change, demographic change, constitutional change, the, 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 the sidewinder of Brexit. And for all of these reasons, um, the inevitability of constitutional change is one that we must uh, conduct um, with deference and skill and, and debate. Um, by 2030, I think that an awful lot of water will have uh, gone under the bridge and we might be two or three years, perhaps four or five years, into what would be the Second Republic. Um, France is on its Fifth Republic. You know, uh, it's 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 not um, it's not unusual that 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 there would be a new constitutional environment. Um, but it's not simply going to be a case of tacking on six counties to twenty six counties. Uh, Everything um, will 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 be there for debate, uh, and it's an exciting opportunity. Um, but we have to get it right because we all live here. Um, we're all going to be here after the event, and we all want what's best for our own children. Um, we know that the current arrangements don't work. Um, so let's do better. And I would like to think in 2030, we will be two or three years in to doing better. Well, th- thank you ver- very much. Now, what a fantastic way to end. Thank you for joining the podcast today and for sharing your reflections and insights that I know will be great interest to our audience. It's very much appreciated. I'd just like to end by wishing you well in your ongoing work. Thank you, Now, Thank you.